Okay, I'm also on Bible reading today. Um, the um, Titus chapter 1. So here we read, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word, through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Saviour. To Titus, my true child, in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Saviour. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appointed elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy um, word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They might, must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars and beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in faith not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Here ends the reading. Thanks, Martin, for your words this morning. Thanks, John. Good morning, church. Um, it's good to see you all. As I was preparing for this Titus series, I was, pre- I was praying and preparing for it. My heart got really excited because it's like having a really good meal. You know, it, it's, you savor it. Uh, it. It tastes good, and your life gets transformed. And that happened in my life for the last three weeks as I was pre- preparing Titus 1, 2, and 3. So if you don't know me, my name is Martin, as I said, um, it's so good to see you. And without further ado, how about we dig into the text? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, what a privilege it is for me to share your word. And at the same time, I come to you with a trembling heart as it comes with a great responsibility. So I pray that we'll be able to see the truth in its goodness and in its beauty. And I pray for maximum attention, retention, and transformation. And Lord, I acknowledge that we are apart from you. I can do nothing. So would you please empower me through your spirit so that Christ will be magnified. Christ will be exalted through this preaching of your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, um, we all know 
that recently the Queen Elizabeth II has passed away. And these are the attributes that was given by people. Faithfulness, dignity, integrity, service, and grace. So faithfulness, dignity, integrity, service, and grace. Remember four? Faithfulness, dignity, integrity. Well, we could summarize these qualities and call it godliness. Or as my pastor Bill has said, we can capture this, more, uh, this meaning more clearly by saying God-likeness. God-likeness. Where we are, can carefully guess how to coin the public. She was not perfect, nor flawless, but she lived a life that was blameless in many ways. What was the secret of her God-likeness life? I think what Queen has said in year 2000 Christmas will give us a bit of a hint. She said this, To many of us, our beliefs are fundamental importance. For me, ability before God provide a framework in which I try to lead my life. And she said in many other occasions, apart from this, that Jesus was the inspiration, the anchor of our life. Jesus was the bedrock of her faith. Stephen Bates, the Guardian newspaper journalist, stated that Queen is the most religious sovereign since the Reformation of the 16th century. Well, so it is quite clear that the teachings of Christ have driven and enabled the Queen to live a God-likeness life. The gospel drove Queen to live God-likeness life. The gospel was just not a theory for the queen, but, well, the godliness can be defined as the reverence for God and the life of holiness. Paul's letter to Titus is not about, is, is about how true gospel will drive godlikeness in our life. Paul's letter to Titus is how the truth will lead to godlikeness transformation. Paul's letter to Titus is how true gospel leads someone to God-likeness living and good works. Well, I pray that as you listen to this message carefully, I'll, 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 I hope you'll pay attention to my message because I believe this is crucial and timely and relevant in our culture. So we are going to look at Paul's description of Paul's centered identity Paul commanding Titus to identify elders who live God-likeness life. How being identified with Christ is the very source of God-likeness living. From verse 1 to 4, we can see that Paul's claim of his identity is direct contrast to what the world teaches about identity today. Well, our culture tells us that we need to build our own meaning and purpose, which is called existentialism. So meaning and purpose is not given by God, but built by you. So basically, it is telling you the author of your life is you. You create your own meaning. Just look at yourself. Well, you decide what introduction reveals the very source of God's, uh, for Paul's godliness and his passion, for, his passion for the gospel. Well, let me break it down for you because it can be quite confusing what Paul is trying to say. First, he clearly shows that he knows the meaning and the calling of his life. He knows whom he belongs to. He starts his letter by saying that he is a servant slave, which shows that Paul is referring to the gospel impact, how he was set free from sin 
and have become slaves of righteousness. As Romans says, and he says that Christians are slaves of Christ in 1 Corinthians. Now, he gives his whole self to God without question. God has already given him everything in Christ. I think that's what Christianity makes. Uh, it makes Christianity special because no other religion can offer this kind of gospel. Well, Paul knew the purpose of his life. He was called as the apostle. Here, apostle literally means the messenger or the sent one. So this is where we get our um, word called missionary from, the sent one, uh, messenger. So basically, he knew that he was sent by Jesus Christ to preach the gospel, to bring people to God through Jesus Christ and build up the knowledge of the truth for God's chosen people. Well, John Calvin states that here the truth means the right and sincere knowledge of God. That is not on mere human assumption or theory, but we put our trust in God's word that is true, that is sure, and which will come to pass. Well, this is how we grow in God, by faith through the knowledge of God. Well, we might be saying, wait a minute, faith and knowledge doesn't work together. Well, according to the Bible, faith and knowledge does not stand opposed to one another, but it complements one another. Well, as Paul said, faith comes from hearing, hearing the word of God. Now, let us look at the next sentence. This sentence could summarize the Paul's letter to Titus. So listen to me very carefully, okay? Paul says the knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. In this context, we can say that Paul is saying the true gospel will lead to God-likeness. So gospel drives God-likeness in our life. Just imagine that you're in a car and your destination is called God-likeness. What do you need to get to the destination? Well, you need fuel, right? You need fuel. Fuel is the energy source that will enable you to get to the destination called God-likeness. So in other words, in Christian life, the gospel truth is the fuel that will lead you to God-likeness living. Well, this is the litmus test of true gospel preaching. Does this lead me to holiness? Does this drive my passion for God? Does this lead me to become more like God? So my brothers and sisters, let me ask you a question. Do you hate the sin you once loved? Do you desire holiness once ignored, you once ignored? I'll say this again. Do you hate the sin you once loved? Do you desire holiness you once ignored? If you never have this kind of change in your heart, it is time to seriously examine your life in Christ. This is the question that Pastor Paul Washer has asked me and, and, and asked in YouTube clip, and it really awakened my heart and really changed my heart. Lastly, Paul, Wash, Paul shares about his destiny of life. He's saying that his faith and knowledge rests on the hope of eternal life. He knew that his ultimate destination was heaven. Well, you have to remember that the hope does not mean the way we say hope. For example, we say, oh, I hope to travel to Europe next year. Oh, I hope to get this job. I hope to gain or lose weight by next year. That doesn't happen to me. 
I really hope my football team will win this year. Yes. Rather, this hope is built on unshakable foundation. And Paul gives three aspects of this foundation. First, Paul says the promise of eternal life is made by God. And he says, God cannot lie, right? Well, God is the very source and the standard of truth. He is the truth. Second, it was the promise that was sealed from eternity past, which means that God's plans to save sinful, sinful men like you and I was decreed or decided before the creation of the world. Just, just think about it. Don't you think this is really assuring? We often see in the news when the bill is passed in America, the President of the United States will sign the deal and seal it. And you'd be sure that it is going to be implemented because of the authority of the President. Likewise, if God of the universe, who cannot lie, has made a decree to save us in Christ, what can stop it? It will come to pass and be accomplished. He's faithful. Lastly, this promise that was made from eternity past has been shown through the preaching of the gospel. So to summarize, Paul is saying this. The guarantee of this hope of eternal life is based on God's faithful character and just being truly man, truly God, lived a perfect life, a sinless life. He died on the cross and rose again for guilty sinners like you and I. Now, Paul wants you and me to rest in the pillow of this God's faithful promise. So can I urge you today, whenever things go wrong, rest in the pillow of God's sovereignty. For Paul, identity was not something that you make out from within yourself, but it was given by God. I think this is the great secret of God's radical, gospel-driven God-likeness. He knew who he was, his calling in Christ. He knew what his purpose was. He knew what his ultimate destiny was. Literally, Paul was unstoppable because his identity was built on this firm foundation. And this gospel-centered identity drove him to live God-likeness life. I want to challenge you. I want to tell you that uh, to major questions of this life. Because it is true. No other religion or worldview can give this kind of assurance with consistency. Paul basically answers the meaning of this life, the purpose of this life, the destiny of this life with truth, beauty, relevance, and consistency. Think about it. How about you? Do you resonate with what I said? Does this challenge you? Does this encourage you? Have you built your identity something other than the gospel? Are you still the master of your life, trying to build meaning, your purpose on center on your desire? Which will lead to godlessness. Other foundation other than the gospel will crush you, enslave you, and lead you to godlessness life. It's going to crush you. Satan promises so much, but gives you so less. Well, you know, the longest surviving advertisement I've seen recently was KFC advertisement. Basically, he says this, I don't care, I love it. 
and they start eating chicken, you know, they're smashing chicken, right? And I think the reason this works so well is because it works. That's what the world wants to tell us. Why do you care? Hey, just do it. Just do it. If it makes you feel good, just go for it. Follow your feelings. What a tragedy. How sad. How about you? Have you brought into this kind of thinking? Now, after this awesome introduction, Paul reveals whom this letter is for. It was for a person called Titus. Well, he was a Greek, a Gentile believer who might have become a Christian on Paul's maybe first missionary journey. Titus served with Paul in the island of Crete, which is the biggest island in Greece, and apparently it is really beautiful. It's still there if you're searching Google Maps. The Crete was a beautiful island, but it is also a place where sin abounded. And false teachers were increasing when Paul wrote this letter. So as we dig in further, just imagine an island that is surrounded by a beautiful ocean, filled with people who are very sinful. Now in verse 5, Paul commands Titus to complete the work of establishing the church. How? By identifying suitable elders. So here comes the second point. Paul commands Titus to identify and appoint elders in the church. Well, have you ever seen a job description when you apply for the job? Usually there are some essential qualifications that employers cannot compromise, right? Now, having this in mind, the essential qualification for elders was blameless. It was blamelessness, not flawlessness. The ESV Bible uses the word above reproach. And did you just realize the text says nothing about man's appearance character? It talks about one's faithfulness in the family, not being arrogant, who has his temper under control, who is honest, hospitable, disciplined, and self-controlled. The elder must be well-trained in sound doctrine, which is a fancy of saying well-trained in biblical teaching. An elder must have firm conviction on this teaching, in other words, the elders must be someone who knows the Bible well, well enough to teach and correct people who, go, who goes against it, of course, with love and compassion. You know, as a mental health nurse, I work very closely with psychiatrists and psych reg, and one of my psych reg became my, uh, he's, he's a really good friend of mine too. And I can tell you that for someone to become a psychiatrist, they have to go through many rigorous training and exams, even after finishing their medical school, because they are dealing with people's health, people's mental health. That requires much caution and training, right? But church is the place where the bride of Christ are, God's precious people that he bought with the precious blood of Jesus. We are dealing with people's soul. It requires much caution thinking, and firm standard. So as I'm preaching here today, I tremble because I'll be accountable what I speak to you today. Bill used to tell me, Martin, after you have prepared your preaching, can you say, thus saith the Lord? I should be able to say, this is what God is saying to you. It's a joy to preach, yet it comes with a great responsibility. Well, pay careful attention to the verb. Paul says, elder must be, not might be. 
This is the standard which church should not, must not compromise. Because the health of the church depends on the character and the ability of the elders or leaders. Well, John Stott, as a pastor, he said, let's maintain Paul's high standards for, of eligibility of pastors or elders, particularly blamelessness. The church will be in a far healthy condition if you do. Well, the elders are like the pillar of the church, isn't it? But did you also realize, as I was speaking to you, that this is a lifestyle that every Christian should pursue? Faithfulness in our family. Evidence of holiness, the way we behave, the way we speak. An unshakable conviction in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you this question. Are you pushing these qualities in your life? Does, it give you, does this give you joy than the football game that you watched last night, yesterday? Does it? Do you have desire to do so? Well, my prayer for one of church is that we will grow in all these aspects for the glory of God. This also shows that we should be extra careful when we place someone in the leadership. It needs a certain amount of time and examination. I think we should encourage people to serve. I'm not against that. But to place someone in leadership, and especially ministry that requires teaching, we need to be very careful. There's a second reason why Paul commands Titus to identify and appoint elders. Well, it was Paul's strategy back in the days to tackle danger of false and bad teaching. From verse 10 to 11, Paul is saying that these teachers in Crete do not submit to the biblical teaching. So basically, they do not submit themselves to the true gospel. Instead of talking about good, healthy doctrine, they talk in vain and deceive people with first teaching. Well, especially the group of Jews who boasted in their Jewish roots was not for the glory of God or was not to edify God's people, but they did it for selfish gain. Well, let me with this kind of false teaching and teachers. Well, just be wishy-washy about it. It's like, it's going to be okay. Just take it easy, you know? It's going to just pass away. No. Paul said those people must be silenced because this false teaching is causing harm to the church, the bride of Christ, God's precious church. Paul uses very strong words by quoting Greek, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. <laughs> And commands Titus once again to rebuke those people who teach his wrong stuff. You might be wondering, how come Paul, a loving apostle, could say such a thing? Especially in our culture. We might say, you have caused microaggression to Christians' feelings. Well, here's the reason why. Paul, someone is trying to hurt someone that you really love. Like, like your spouse, like your parents, like your siblings. The intensity of your anger towards the person who is trying to hurt them show the amount of love that you have for your parents or spouse, right? There's something about we don't get angry enough on the things that we should be angry enough because maybe it's because of our lack of love. Just think about it. I think our situation in Australia is no different than Crete. I'll actually say we are in a much worse place, much dangerous place. Every day we are exposed to 5,000 advertisements. Most of those advertisements have nothing to do with God or is anti-God. As you click on YouTube, you are potential. As you click on your Netflix, it literally tempts you 
to binge on a program that is far from God and that may trigger your lustful desires. Yes, the first gospel that will lead you to godlessness, which will end up sending people to hell. This is a serious business. The danger is real. We can no longer uh, pretend as if it's not real. We should remember that there is no vacuum in our mind. If you do not fill your mind with the word of God, something else is going to fill you, shape you, lead you, and make you who you are. You know, I don't, I'm actually really tired of actually making it quite simple because uh, as a member of this church, I just want to warn you, take this time because the scripture warns us, take this very seriously. So I pray that we will be the church that know the word of God well, not only encourage one another, but lovingly correct one another. I think there is nothing more loving than telling the truth. What is the end goal of rebuking and correcting people? To destroy them, to tell them, hey, look, I'm doing better than you. Not at all. As Paul said, those people may be sound in faith. And the result of this, those people being saved. Now, let us be like Jesus. He was full of grace. I get that. But also, he was full of truth. That's how John describes Christ, right? Let's be so gracious in many ways. Let's be, but at the same time, let's be gentle, yet without compromising the truth. In verse 14, Paul is probably referring back to those Jews from circumcision party. They follow Jewish myths and commands of people. Calvin summarized these people by saying, who are not satisfied we are with the pure doctrine of Christ, which means so the pure teachings of Jesus Christ. And they add things to the gospel, like extra laws, trade practices, like the Pharisees that Jesus rebuked. Those religious people may think they could clean themselves with those laws and practices, but it actually can't. In fact, they are defiled, as they do not have faith in the true gospel that truly cleanses people from the filthiness of sin. Because their inner mind and conscience is defiled, the result is obvious. Their actions are detestable, not obedient, and not fit for any good work. And here comes the climax, as Scott has pointed out. They claim to know God, but they deny God by their works. Did you just realize there's a stark contrast to Paul's introduction? Do you remember that how Paul said the true gospel and true knowledge of the truth drives God-likeness. Well, Paul is basically saying to Titus throughout this uh, letter to identify people who has already displayed the life of gospel-driven God-likeness and rebuke and silence those people who hold to the fast false gospel that live teachers could be sound in faith and be saved. And have you ever noticed that there is one person who have perfectly met the standard of the qualification of elders without fail? Have you noticed that there is one person who perfectly and truly preached and defended the true gospel without fail? His name is Jesus. He was not only blameless, but flawless. He's always faithful to his bride. He always keeps and leads his children without fail. He's meek and mild, gentle and humble in heart. Jesus is always generous and always does good out of his good pleasure. In his earthly ministry, he did not fail to preach the gospel and defend the gospel and rebuke those who contradicted it. Jesus fearlessly silenced false teachers of the day, and through it, 
he has displayed his passion and love for God's truth. Jesus is a great leader and chief shepherd who is building his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Well, I think, I think about it this way. Um, so the best way is to be holy, to live this kind of life, is not to meditate on your sin, not so much, but to fix your gaze upon Christ. You know, I remember one of the youth pastors that I love told me, you know, Martin, I think Christian life is more than being like Christ. It is actually fixing our gaze upon Jesus. And I think I actually resonate with this. The more we look at the beauty, the goodness, the truth, and joy that is in Jesus Christ, we will want to become like Jesus Christ. So it is not a glimpse, right? It is a gaze. You gaze upon Jesus through prayers and reading of his words. And I want to say something. Read your Bible maybe a bit less. You might be saying, less? Yeah, I'm talking about quality over quantity. Chew on God's word. Meditate on it. Let it transform you. Impact your mind, will, and passion. Let every corner of your life be transformed by God's word. Yes, when you fall into sin, turn from it with all your heart, but always remember to reflect and remember the cross of Jesus Christ, that your sins are paid for. Everything has been paid. And as you do this, God-likeness will come along simultaneously. As you reflect your life, you will see God's faithful hand in your life. And now, we do this as a church, not alone. Well, in our life group, we started a thing called Gospel Reminder Partner. We have paired up together and promised one another to give Gospel Reminder for the week. And it's been great. You can do that with your family members. We pursue God-likeness together. And above all, remember that your true home is not here. You're just passing like a traveler. Live in the hope of eternal life. Remember that this life is but a preface. When we depart this world, Jesus will wipe away our tears and we'll be welcomed to his open arm. Well, if you are here today and you're not a Christian, could I urge you to come to Christ? You may say, how? Turn from your sin, not in perfection, but in terms of direction. Turn to Christ. Trust in Jesus Christ, who died for sins and rose again. Well, are you a struggling sinner? You know, we often get despair when we examine ourselves and see how many times we fail every week. We say, God, I'm not worthy. I feel dirty. Do you still love me? The answer God gives us, my dear child, I love you so much. You are the apple of my eye. You are not alone in this journey. Seek my face, for I'm with you. I'll carry you home. Let this amazing love compel you in light of this hope of eternity. to Christ, because Christ has given, given himself to us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, um, we are just thankful for your word, for the things you have done in our life through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Father, through your word and what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. What we are not, make us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.